0: I really love that video. I love uh, just the amount of, I don't know, depth that I think they pull out of there to see some of these interconnectedness between the different passages and stories and chapters and things like that. So hopefully that was good for you. I know it's a lot of information. So if you're interested in checking it out again, it's the Bible Project. Um, but so, so again, throughout the series, we've been challenging you to like dig into the book of Daniel to begin to read it and think through it. And so I want to take a few minutes here before we kind of talk specifically um, about chapters 7 through 12. Let me take a few minutes and just give you a little bit of um, kind of a big picture of that. Uh, and, and specifically how it's written and how it's written differently. So again, the first half of it's written in stories, telling a story of Daniel and his friends. The second part is um, these visions that God gave. And one of the things uh, that I read this week that I thought was helpful was a guy named Dan Duncan. He said it this way. He said, from chapter 7 on, the book is very different. It doesn't continue the chronology of events, but reverts back in time to a series of visions that Daniel had. It's not history, it is prophecy. In a sense, the first half of the book gives the credentials of the prophet, the reliability of the messenger. The second half gives his message. Now the message of chapter seven through 12 is not really new, It's the message that God is sovereign. So we've talked about that in a lot of the weeks of this series, kind of looking at, we said, you know, the the hero of the book of Daniel is not Daniel, even though the name of the book is Daniel. It's not really a book about Daniel. It's a book about God. God is the hero of the book of Daniel, right? And so we've seen throughout these stories, like, it's really a book that God is powerful God is sovereign, right? Another guy, David Helm, describes it this way. I like this. He said, storytelling gives way to movie watching. So in the first half of the book, it's like storytelling. The second half of the book is almost like watching a sci-fi movie or a fantasy movie. And so you read about... things like these beasts, these four beasts, this ram and this goat, you know, these, these mysterious 70 weeks, this king of the north and this king of the south, this abomination that causes desolation, all of these things you read about. Another guy, Dale Davis, described it this way. He said, it communicates this message, the message that God is sovereign <clears throat> and what is to come through the use of wild, scary imaginative bizarre and head-scratching imagery and so if you've been reading the second part of the book of daniel you've seen this if you haven't it's important to kind of understand a little bit about what this imagery is about this imagery is called um, uh, what's the word apocalyptic apocalyptic writing or apocalyptic imagery and so when you're reading these chapters like don't take them literally right? And so God isn't saying to Daniel, hey, in the future, there's going to be a giant goat that's going to take over the world. Like that's not, that's not what he's talking about here. These are all images. So I think of it this way. It's fantastic imagery symbolically representing a future reality. Fantastic imagery, almost like, a, I mean, it's almost like a Harry Potter movie, like that's the kind of imagery it is, these beasts and these kings and these powerful things, right? It's fantastic imagery, symbolically representing a future reality. And so in the New Testament, the book of Revelations is written similarly. It's apocalyptic writing as well. And I want to say, like, as you maybe dig into this second part of the book of Daniel, if I could give you um, maybe a little bit of advice from my own personal experiences, um, trying to figure out names and dates and times is a waste of time. Trying to figure out names and dates and times is Is a waste of time. And that's a little bit of exaggeration, but not much. Like, we could look at this kind of apocalyptic writing and these images, and, you know, or you jump to the book of Revelation, you're like, you have this beast and this antichrist, and you're like, you could, I think, we could be tempted to look at our world and go, man, we're in the end times. Maybe the beast is this person, and the antichrist is this person. We can get so focused on these details and, and dates and times and names of people that we miss the big picture of this apocalyptic imagery in the first place. And I say this from my own personal experience. So like as a young seminary student studying to be a pastor, Like for me, you know, my undergrad degree is business. And so I didn't go to Bible college or anything like that. So I jump into seminary and I'm learning all this stuff for the first time. And I'm so enthralled in this. And so I'd read, you know, like the book of Daniel, for example, or the book of Revelation. I'd read so much about, you know, all these guys' opinions of this and what does this represent and this represent. And eventually you come to the realization that no one knows for sure what these things actually represent. And no one will know for sure until it happens. Like my my thought, I was talking to somebody earlier, my thought is that as these things begin to roll out, God will make it clear that this is the fulfillment of the prophecies that we have, right? That he's given us. And so if God, and then I think of this, if God wanted us to be certain about the specifics in this, I think he would have made it clear, right? But he didn't. And so I think we need to step back a little bit. And this is kind of the, the goal of, of this morning I want to step back a little bit and I want to look at some of the big picture of these chapters like what is the big picture truth that chapters 7 through chapter 12 are trying to convey to us okay so so this is my goal with the time I want to I want to give you kind of a um, a big run-on sentence okay that I'll just sort of add to as we go that I think is is like the big idea or the big picture of these chapters and then I want to end the time again just kind of sharing with you something that um, has really challenged my faith to be honest with you and hit my heart this week. So, um, The first thing that I think as we look at these chapters is uh, that, we, that we can't miss is this. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. We look at these chapters and you're like, God, God knows what he's doing. He's got a plan in this. But then we can look at our world and we can look at the chaos, we can look at the unrest, we could look at the injustices, we can look at the pain and the suffering and the death and we can go, where's God, right? Like, where is he? Where was where, where God last week, you know, in, in Parkland, Florida, when this boy goes into this school and kills all of these kids and, and teachers and coaches? Like, where is God? One of the, one of the 10 deadliest school shootings in history. And you're like, where, God, you got a plan? Like, where, where are you in that stuff? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, Larry Nasser, the Olympic doctor, Michigan State, an Olympic doctor. And you look at that and you're like, God, where were you? You know, when this guy was doing all of these terrible things to these innocent young ladies. God, where were you? You look back further, where were you when these terrorists were hijacking planes and were running them into buildings? God, where were you when Hitler and his evil regime were killing millions and millions of Jews? Right, like if we're honest, we can look at our world at the chaos, the, the almost random chaos that we see sometimes, and we can think, like, why doesn't God step in, you know? Like, where, where is, why does God allow these kind of evils to happen? Why does God allow people to commit these kind of evils? Why does he allow people to do these kind of despicable things? Right, like if we're honest, we can look at our world many times and we can have that question running through our mind. And if we're also honest, sometimes we don't have a good answer to that, right? Sometimes the answer is, I don't know. Jeff, why why does God allow that to happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I think as we read the book of Daniel, particularly these chapters in the book of Daniel, we can step back and we can go, but I know this, God has a plan right and over time we don't always see it in the moment but over time that plan is playing out it's kind of the next part of that sentence God's got a plan that's playing out and as that plan plays out it includes hard things at times it includes suffering at times it includes heartache at times and we see that in the book of Daniel Right? Like the book of Daniel, the first part of the book of Daniel is not all roses and wow, look at, look at how good God is. And he stepped in and he did miraculous things. Like this is a young man who his family was almost for sure annihilated, murdered, and then he's removed. He's taken captive to this foreign land. And he's put in these situations that like you can imagine the fear that he must have felt at times and the sorrow, right? Like the struggle that he must have, the book of Daniel shows us it's not always roses, right? There's times when there's pain and suffering and heartache, but here's the thing, God's not unaware, right? God's not unaware of those things. And in our heartache and in our pain and in our suffering, amazingly, we can still have peace, right? And we can still have hope and we can still have love because we're not alone. And you look at Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were never alone. In their troubles, they had peace, and they had hope, and they knew that they were loved by God. And what that did was, it gave them courage to walk through their lives as those, like those hard times, as God's plan was playing out. And I would encourage you guys this morning, each of us this morning, that the same is true for us as well, right? Right? Like, some of us sit here this morning and you're right in the middle of it. Hard times, challenging things that we're dealing with. And we go, God, where are you? Here's the thing, God's got a plan, and it's playing out. And even as we walk through those hard times and that struggle and that pain and suffering, amazingly, we can still do it with love and peace and knowing that we're not alone and then having the courage because we're not alone having the courage to be able to walk through those hard times as God's plan is playing out in our lives as well. Daniel shows us that, right? <clears throat> and it's all moving towards something. So God's got a plan, and that plan is playing out, and it's building, it's moving toward this dramatic conclusion. So, so like, I'm a movie. I, I really, a, a great day off for me would be, like, go do a great workout and then hang out with my family and watch movies. I like, I like watching movies, right? And so think of a good movie, like what makes a good movie a good movie? Well, it's got a, it's got a really good storyline, right? And so maybe it's, it's like thoughtful, the storyline's thoughtful, it's got these characters that are well-developed the story's filled with adventure and excitement. It's got twists and turns. It's got highs and lows. It's got, it's got humor. It's got heartache. It's got all of this stuff. A good story, right? And, then it, and it builds and it builds and it builds to this climax. And at the climax, in the end, everything's sort of changed and everything is resolved. That's kind of the mark. That's kind of the structure of a lot of really good movies, right? Listen, in many ways that's what we're experiencing now and and please don't hear that like to trivialize the stuff that we're walking through I don't mean it that way but this helps me kind of understand God's plan that he's chosen to put us in like in a way like we're kind of living that right now only there's 7.5 billion different characters in the movie that's how many people are alive right now those are 7.5 billion different characters and among those 7.5 billion different characters there aren't any actors who have a script that they're reading that's telling them what to do they're real people right making real decisions with real freedom to make those decisions but there's a director who actually sees the big picture right He knows the story, he knows where we're at in the story, and he knows how the story is going to end, and that director tells the characters in the story what to do, and how to live, and how to have the best story possible, and some of those characters listen to the director, right, and some of them don't, some of them are divas. And they think that they know the best way and they want to they want to live their story the way that they want to live their story and yet amazingly the director's story still moves forward and here's the thing it's a thoughtful story with well well developed characters and it's filled with adventure and excitement life is filled with adventure and excitement right It's filled with adventure and excitement and highs and lows and twists and turns and humor and sometimes heartache, but it's all building and building and building toward this climax that will one day change everything, that will one day resolve everything. See, see this, this helps me. I'm part of God's story, and so are you. We're part of God's plan. You and I are a part of it. In fact, you and I are chosen to be a part of it, and it's playing out over time and it's building and it's building and it's building toward this dramatic conclusion that Daniel actually gets a glimpse of, right? In these chapters, he gets this glimpse of what the, what the climax is gonna be like, what everything in the course of human history is building toward. And here's what the dramatic conclusion is, ready? Let me add to our, to our sentence. God's gonna bring justice and God's gonna rescue. God's got a plan that's playing out toward a dramatic conclusion where God brings justice to the world and he rescues those that are his. What what does it look like? Let me me give you an example. So um, if, if, if you have a Bible, I probably should have told you this earlier, if you have a Bible, flip it open to Daniel. At the end of Daniel, we'll throw it up here on the screen as well, at the end of Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, he gets like this glimpse of the end. He gets this glimpse of the climax and what it's going to be like. And this is what it says, this is Daniel chapter 12, In verse 1 says there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then but at that time your people everyone whose name is found written in the book other places in the Bible talks about the book of life same book everyone whose name is found written in the book of life will be delivered will be rescued it's another word for rescued multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life others to shame and everlasting contempt like this is this is the climax of the story right this is the part where everything's resolved it's also the the end of the world as we know it but it's also the beginning of the beauty to come and it's really interesting, like as we talk about, you know, Daniel's visions are like about the end. They're about the future, things that are to come. And as we talk about that and what that looks like, the way the Bible's set up, it's it's interesting. The end time stuff because we get all of these little glimpses throughout the bible and there's a bunch of different places that give us little snapshots from different angles of what the end is going to be like and sometimes synthesizing all those together is hard it's hard to kind of understand what the sequence of events is going to be but i want to give you i want to read a few more of these snapshots for you So you can see what this dramatic conclusion is going to be like. So here's one from uh, the book of Revelation. So this is John, one of Jesus' disciples. His the last book in our Bible. And he talks about, this is what more the justice end of things are going to look like. This is Revelation 20. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was on, I'm sorry, him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And you hear that, and again, this is apocalyptic writing, right? This is apocalyptic imagery. And you hear that, but you can, even if we don't understand all the specifics and all of the metaphor, we can see what's it about? Judgment, right? Justice is coming. How about this? This is Jesus' own words. Jesus kind of describes the dramatic conclusion this way. This is in Matthew 24, he says, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect. His elect are those that love him. He'll gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. But about, Then he goes on, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Jesus says, no one knows when it's going to happen. Actually, he says, not even the Son of Man knows when it's going to happen. But he says, therefore, keep watch. And then he says, be ready. So you must also be ready. Let me give you one more. How about this? This is is how the Apostle Paul, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, describes the rescue. This is what the rescue is going to be like. He says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. What's all this talking about? Well, eventually, justice comes, right? Eventually, justice comes. Why? Because our director God, our director God, is just, and sin and evil and wrongdoing are wrong, right? And so there must be consequences for that. And we feel that, like we can look at some of the rotten things going on in our world and we're like, they should be punished for that. There's gotta be consequences. I want justice for that person. They don't have the right to do that to somebody else, right? There's gotta be consequences punishment for wrongdoing lawbreakers must be punished so there's times during the story when we feel that in the end it comes for sure in the end it comes and similarly eventually rescue comes why because our director God loves those that are his he loves those that love him and have trusted him and they listen to his voice and he rescues them. Sometimes in the midst of the story, as it's playing out, as his plan is playing out, we get scared, we go through hard times and we're like, God, where are you? Would you rescue me in the end? He rescues us. And, And then here's the beautiful part, just like actors get paid for their role in the movie, the characters of the movie that love the director, that follow the director, get a reward, right? And it's better than any paycheck we could ever imagine there's this reward that we get when we love and trust and follow the director that's all about everlasting life it's all about paradise with god where where all of the things that we hate in this life the, the pain the suffering the sickness the death the violence the cancer all of that stuff is gone it's no more and we get to live with our director our good director Forever and ever and ever. Second half of Daniel shows us that in fantastic ways. God's got a plan that's playing out and it's building toward this dramatic conclusion as we speak. We're in the middle of it right now where one day he's gonna bring justice and he's also gonna rescue those of us that trust him, those of us that love him. That's the big picture. If we look at the second part of the book of Daniel, we get so focused on, well, maybe this is representing this and this, and maybe this is happening right now, maybe it's not. We get so focused on the details. Don't miss the big picture. God's working. Everything's building up. And one day, it's all going to be resolved, and it's gonna be better than we could ever imagine. That's the big picture of the second half of the book of Daniel. Now, let me, um, let me just share with you a little bit about what in all of this really, really pricked my heart this week. So if you've been watching the news, you know, there's there's all kinds of terrible things that go on in our world and go on in our country. Right? And so I've been, you know, like read I, I try to stay up on some of that stuff. And as I've been reading that and seeing these videos and you know, reading this book, there's, there's just something that jumped out to me here that I want to share with you. So, so if you look at Daniel, if you were to do like a survey of these six chapters and you looked at Daniel's reactions to these visions that God had given him, they're very interesting. They're, they're very unique visions. If you did like a survey, I, I, we did, and I have the results of it. This is, this is all the stuff that how Daniel responded to these visions that God gave him. I'll just read it to you. He was troubled in spirit he was deeply disturbed his face turned pale he kept the visions to himself he was appalled he became ill for several days the dreams were beyond his understanding he mourned for three weeks he ate no choice food he used no lotions he had no strength another time it said his face turned deathly pale he was helpless he fell into a deep sleep face to the ground just on the ground on his face he fell on his hands and knees trembling another time he trembled when standing up another time he was speechless he was overcome with anguish and then again another time it said he was helpless and I, and i read that and i am like it's interesting it's interesting his response to these visions that god allowed him to have how did how did daniel feel he felt overwhelmed right He felt distressed. He felt deeply anguished. He felt helpless. He felt troubled. Now let me ask you this. You ever feel like that? Like think about that in your own life. Times when you felt maybe somebody that you love is you just found out they were sick or or you lost somebody close to you. You ever feel like deeply anguished, overwhelmed with anguish at times? How do you respond to that? Like what do you do in situations like that? Like when that's how you feel. It says Daniel mourned for three weeks. He became ill for several days. Like when you are overcome that way, what do you do? Do you, do you like separate yourself from everybody else and just like I gotta be alone, I gotta cry, you know? Maybe you call up a trusted counselor or something like that. Maybe you get distracted so you don't think about all of that stuff. I don't know. You know what Daniel does? Daniel prays. He prays. And fortunately for us, he records his prayer. And this is what really hit me this week. It's, it's in chapter 9, so if you're in Daniel, flip over. If you're in chapter 12, flip back a couple of chapters to chapter 9. Chapter 9, it, most of it, the first, like two-thirds of it, is a prayer, Daniel's prayer to God. And the content of this prayer uh, just struck me this week. This is what it says. Uh, well, I won't read all of it, but starting in verse 3. He says so i turned to the lord and i pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes i prayed to the lord my god and confessed lord the great and awesome god who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments we have sinned and done wrong we've been wicked and have rebelled we've turned away from your commands and your laws we've not listened to your servants the prophets we spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we're covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the country, countries where you scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we've sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Let's stop right there. Daniel goes on in this chapter and he, and he confesses his sins, he confesses the sins of his ancestors. I think is really interesting people that he's never met before and he asks God for help in verse 18 he says we do not make requests of you because we're righteous but because of your great mercy what what how does Daniel respond as he's overwhelmed with anguish how does Daniel respond in that situation well he prays right and he does it with deep honesty and humility and he confesses, he confesses his own sins and he confesses the sins of his people and he repents, he, he turns from them. And I don't know about you, but as I read the book of Daniel, I look at Daniel, I'm like, this dude is like the godliest of the godly, you know? I mean, like if there is, if there is somebody who is like super in touch with the Lord and put God first, man, it's gotta be Daniel. And yet Daniel knows his heart. He knows that he's got sin just like you and I have sin. And so as he's overwhelmed he goes to god with humility and honesty and he confesses to him and he repents to him right and then he asks god for help he literally pleads with god to rescue this rebellious people that he loves and so i was thinking about that this week i my, my parents are in florida right now and i called them this week and i was just talking to my mom and we started talking about these chapters and it was interesting. I, I had her read these chapters and just to get her, her thoughts on it, it was interesting. The, the thing that jumped out to me was the exact same thing that jumped out to her. And it's Daniel's response in chapter nine here in this prayer. Because what's so interesting to me is that he doesn't just confess and repent and pray for himself, but he does it on behalf of his people too, Right? like like they're all in this together, you know, almost like they're, part, they're one body together and they're di- just different parts of this body. You know, like he feels this strong connection with his people, most of whom he had never met before. And what strikes me about that is that's not natural for me, right? Like I don't naturally think if I'm praying to God and I'm confessing my sin, which I do, I don't naturally think of confessing other people's sins and like taking responsibility, some sort of responsibility in myself for other people's sins. Whereas in ancient Israel, like they were they had this real strong communal identity, right? Like this this communal emphasis and understanding. We're at the opposite end of the spectrum. Well, bet you're not that different than me. We're at the opposite end of the spectrum. In our culture, we are so individualistic. And so we see these evils done in our world and we're like appalled by them. We are rightly appalled at what happens to them, right, what, what happens and we look at these people that are hurt. Like let's go to what happened in Parkland, Florida, this school shooting in Parkland, Florida. We look at these families, I'll bet you're just like me. We look at these families and we're like, I can't even imagine what they must feel. I can't imagine sending my son or my daughter to school one day and then them getting murdered at school and never seeing them again. And our hearts break for these families, right? We connect with them. We connect with the victims to a certain degree. For honest, then we go back to life and we don't give it a whole lot of thought. But we look at this guy, this boy who did these things, the victimizer and we see it in a very us and them sort of way. The victims were like, I'm here with you, sort of a communal sense. The victimizer were like, you are evil. I can't, what kind of an animal would do something like that? He deserves punishment. He deserves death for the death that he caused, right? Like we look at the victimizer that way and he's different than me. I am wholly different than him. As I'll be honest, I read this chapter in Daniel, And I think, I wonder how Daniel would have responded to a tragedy like this. I think he would have, the same way as we, been appalled and heartbroken for these families that lost loved ones. I think he would have been heartbroken for this boy too. Because in many ways he's not that different. Daniel would have been a broken young man when, he was, when his family was murdered and he was taken captive to Babylon, right? I think he would have looked at this boy and he would have felt broken just like he was. I think he would have seen how hurting this boy was and the need that this boy must have been in to do what he did. And I think he would have identified with him as part of this rebellious world that you and I are all a part of. So, so you, may, you may completely disagree with me on this and not relate to this and so I'll just I'll just speak to myself with myself here but at some level I, I look at a tragedy like this or let's bring it into our area you look at the the drug epidemic right now in Barberton right where we sit in Barberton I look at these tragedies these terrible things and here's what I feel complicit like I, I I feel like I am a part of it I feel like I have responsibility in this because it's happening here, right? Like it's happening in my country, in my culture, in my world. And in some way, I'm contributing to all of this. I read Daniel and I'm like, he's right. It's not just about me. I'm not just living my life isolated from everybody else, separate from everybody else. I'm living my life as part of a community, as part of a people. Right? And so I look at this and I'm like, in some ways, you know, am I contributing actively? Yes, if I'm honest. In some ways, my interactions with people make them worse. Because I can be a jerk sometimes. You can too. Don't judge me. We all can. And a lot of times we do it passively. I'm contributing passively by maybe things that I'm not doing. Guys, if we're if this world is ever gonna change. It's ever gonna be better. I think we gotta get this. I think as Christians, we especially have to get this. It's not just about us, it's not just about our lives, but our lives are affecting other people's lives, right? And when rotten things go on in this world, at some level, we're complicit. We have a part in this. We have a responsibility in this, and we should feel it. Daniel takes partial ownership of other people's actions who he had never met before. Why? Because they were a people, right? They were together. And so are we. So are we. Here, here's how I want to end. Here's what I to challenge you. I want to challenge you to think and pray like Daniel was taken captive. He was removed from everything that he knew, he was taken to this sinful nation of Babylon, and he spent his entire adult life working for the good of Babylon, working for the good of this nation that captured him and killed his family and took him to another place, threw him into a lion's den, all this rotten stuff. He spent his life trying to affect the nation of Babylon in a positive way, trying to show them God, trying to show God to a godless nation. And I think, will we honestly go before the Lord and will we ask him to help us feel some of the weight of where we live, the nation, the culture, the city that we live in, that we go, I got to do something. I got to work work for the good of where I'm at. I got to represent Jesus to those that are around me. Because we can look at the world and we can go, you yeah, know, it's a rotten place, it's terrible, it's all kind of crappy stuff going on. The only solution is Jesus. Like, he's what changes people's hearts. Like we can challenge people to be nice, we could have self-help things, whatever. Jesus and his spirit is what changes people. And you and I are the spirit bearers. We're the light to this world. And so I thought that maybe an appropriate way to end this series, when I started this series, I said, you know what, like where Daniel was at in Babylon, different time, different part of the world, different culture, but it's not that different from where we are, it's not that different. Daniel was an alien, alien, living in a foreign country, bringing them God, showing them God, and living faithful to him, and working for the good of that country and you and I are too. We're aliens here, and we have a challenge, a responsibility to work for the good of our world and to show them Jesus. And so I thought maybe an appropriate way to end our time and end this series, taking a little extra time this morning and praying for this world that we're a part of. So why don't we do that? Let's pray.